Welcome. This is the Life Habits podcast series, and my name is Carl Vradenberg. This is the series that helps you to learn new habits to optimize your life in order to stay sane in this crazy world. This is episode 102, and the topic for today is All You Need Is Love. And I'm delighted to have with me again, Marie-José Char. Welcome. Thank you, Carl. I'm glad to be back. Well, you know, we've done... 102 episodes. That's what this one is. And on the hundreds episode, I also thank the listeners and people like you who have been such gracious and wonderful guests on the series and have made it such a success. And I also reviewed each of the episodes and gave a bit of an update on each of them and also realized that we've done five episodes together. This is number six, Marie Jose. <laughs> That's awesome. I thought we had done like three or four, so I, I missed one in my memory somewhere, but it guess it's I guess it's just because it's been so much fun and time flies so quickly. And they've been awesome and the listeners have very, very much enjoyed them and always ask me to have you back again. So I'm delighted that we have you back again. And I was also reflecting as I was going through all the episodes to date and the various time periods that those reflected over the last 10 years and also the kinds of feedback and comments that listeners have made as well. And that we're living in tough times and a lot of people have a lot of challenges in terms of really staying on top of everything they have going on in their lives. They feel sort of overwhelmed with it. There's also a period again now we find ourselves in uh, 2018 in sort of challenging times politically, economically around the world as well and experiencing a lot of negativity and I think people probably need to have a little bit of a, a boost but uh, that's that's one of the challenges that I see that uh, and I hear that people are going through. What, what are you hearing Oh, uh, more and more I'm realizing that, you know, no time to cook at home or no time to exercise is not an excuse. We are handling more all the time, it seems. For a lot of people, you know, they're they're the sandwich generation. They, they still have kids at home, but they take care of aging parents at the same time. Uh, we have dual income families all over the place. It's no longer an exception. It's now mainly the rule. Some people even have two jobs, sometimes three. Um, social media creeps into our life in so many ways and we sort of feel like we have to be on it too because otherwise we're letting other people down so demands are constantly 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 stretching and so people really have a hard time attending to their own needs that's that's something that's very very common I see it all over the place I hear it from everyone I live it too <laughs> as hard as I try you know to be the sleep food mood and exercise gal sometimes I don't get to it myself um, and as a result I think that more and more we feel like we're living a second-rate version of our own lives because it's like an endless race where it's hard to enjoy the moment because we're always trying to get to the next moment because we want to make it to bed at night <laughs> there's just so much to handle in one day. But what we have to keep in mind, like I've explained in previous episodes, um, is that sleep, food, mood, and exercise are mutually reinforcing. The better we do in one category, the better or the easier it is to do well in the other three categories. So the goal is to not necessarily dwell on what we can't do and what we can't fit in, but rather start from a place of strength and look at what we can do and build from there. You mentioned that you are the sleep, mood, food, and exercise gal. What's your updated thinking on that whole theme that you've now been talking about and working with groups and the like on for these last few years? Well, so I used to say start wherever you can, wherever you feel most motivated, and that still applies. 
Um, if someone feels really drawn to work on their sleep habits first, then by all means do that. Um, probably if you feel drawn to it, it's because you feel motivated, you feel it'll have impact, you feel capable of it at this moment. So all of that still applies. But um, for those who say, and there's a lot of them, hey, MJ, you know your sleep, food, mood, and exercise bubbles? I have all of those wrong. Like I don't do well in any of those categories. Where do I begin? Um, I used to say start with sleep because you will have the biggest bang for your buck there. And I've changed my thoughts on that because over the years I have heard countless people tell me I have tried everything under the sun, everything that's in your book, everything that's in everybody else's books too, and I still suffer from insomnia. And previously I had heard from countless people, I really just can't fit exercise in. And sometimes I realize it's not an excuse, it's a reality. Um, and for some people, you know, they have a lifetime of past failed diets. And so taking a hold of their food habits is also a really big challenge, especially considering that they have proven to themselves multiple times in the past that this is just something they can't do. So my updated thinking is to start with mood. And let me share with you a very quick story, Carol. I moved to the United States from Canada. So for those who find I have a funny accent, I was French Canadian. I am French Canadian. So that's that's why, <laughs> you know, sometimes I put S's where they don't belong or sometimes I mispronounce something. But I moved to the United States in 2006. At that point in my life, I quit my job and I was on an executive succession plan, left my hometown, all my family, my friends, pooled all of my Canadian dollars, transferred them to US dollars, lost a quarter of the, my net worth space value <laughs> in, <laughs> in that transfer. And I decided to start a new life in a new culture, a new country and start a master's degree in the US when I could have done one for free in Canada or basically free in Canada, right? And when I tell that story and I ask in large groups of people, how hard do you think that change was on a scale of one to 10 with one being easiest and 10 being hardest? I usually hear 10, 11 and 12, but really it was a two because I was moving in with my boyfriend. I had a lot of love in my life and love changes everything. So I say, let's start our wellness journey with mood. And really, I think the easiest way, instead of trying to tackle our negative thoughts head on and to try and again, fix what's wrong, like I've explained in previous episodes, that's always a hard road. Let's instead build something really good in our lives. What's better than love? Nothing is better than love. Let's build more love into our lives. And as we do that, we are improving mood. And as we improve mood, we are changing our biochemical activity. And that new biochemical activity then makes it more likely that we will experience fewer cravings, that we will feel more self-regulation power in face of the cravings, that we will not suffer from insomnia, that we can sleep well, and that we are more likely to implement our exercise intentions. So very long-winded answer. The updated thinking is let's start with mood. And the best way to start with mood is to add more love into our lives. I love it. And hence the title of this episode, All You Need Is Love. That's right. <laughs> a very good lyric and a very good theme for life as well. And we have talked in the past too about how all of these elements that are part of your overall theme kind of reinforce one another. And other episodes we've done outside of the ones that I've done with you have also talked about a variety of aspects. And my theme for my life has often been focusing on, on mood and mood disorders earlier on and later on focusing on the design of products and services and trying to, quite frankly, create 
a more enjoyable life for people that are working with those products as well. What's your update on the thinking with regard to mood and its relationship to sleep food and exercise habits? Well, so we already knew that improving mood will improve the other health behaviors, but now we also are seeing more and more research, and here I mean mountains of research, that shows that by improving mood and improving love more specifically, we also achieve better health outcomes. So not just the behaviors, but the health outcomes. So um, we have research showing that people who have more micro moments of connections with other human beings, you know, that moment where you look at someone in the in their eyes and you get one another, you understand one, one another, you are on the same page in the same team. The more of those moments you have in your life, the better your immune response tends to be, the less inflammation you tend to experience, the lower your glycemic index, your triglycerides, you are even more more likely to or less likely sorry to experience cardiovascular events and if you experience one you are more likely to recover fully and promptly fewer chances of cancers alzheimer's disease all kinds of things like that happen with more micro moments of human connections other research designs have proven similar things so here we can look at longitudinal studies that started in the 1940s that are still going on today where people have given access to their entire medical records they have submitted themselves to brain imaging urine samples, blood samples, bi-yearly interviews, like crazy, crazy, crazy amounts of data. And what the researchers have found is that more love equals more health. Studies done with centenarians, looking at them and trying to discern why are these people adding so many years to their life and so much life in their years all at once? And the answer is partly more love in their lives. So we know that love not only makes us feel good in the moment, but helps us live long and well. We often think about various aspects of our life, and we also tend to think about love as only one dimension, that it's romantic love that we're talking about. And some of the time, you know, romantic love is not every interaction that you have with people. The connections that I have with my teams, you know, at work, my staff, my my colleagues and the like, it's an incredibly important aspect of my life. So it's not just the, the typical love that we talk about. It's really this connectedness and this deeper relationship beyond the hello how are you type of relationship with colleagues as well right so how do we start in your view with regard to really making more of a a difference with regard to injecting more love into our lives we spend most of our waking hours at work and so let's consider ways to boost how much love we experience at work and when i say that people are like whoa did she say the l word in the context of work well let's redefine love as care and compassion And when we are at work, we want to experience care and compassion from our peers. And the best way to experience it is to start extending it, right? Simon Sinek says that he imagines a place where people feel inspired to go to work. They feel stimulated and appreciated while at work and they return home fulfilled after a productive day. Um, I love that vision and I'm also kind of on that path, but I'm doing it from the perspective of helping people build more care and compassion in the workplace so that they feel like they are really a true team. So quote from Walt Disney, all our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. So let's start with some strategies to build more care and compassion in the workplace such that we can not only enjoy our days more and be more fulfilled when we get home, but also experience more health. So number one recommendation is to start with uh, positivity questions. So when we change the questions that we ask, we change the results that we get, right? So when you're at the water cooler, for example, instead of asking, uh, 
what's up or what's going on or you busy or something like that. What if we started asking things like, hey, when were you most engaged today? What was the best part of your day? Whom are you grateful to today? Whom did you support? Who supported you today? You know, that may sound like awkward because you're not going to be at the water cooler and say, hey, tell me, who did you support today? You know, that's not how it starts. But if you have that question at the back of your mind and that's what you're trying to get to, looking for the other person to share something positive with you, you are helping the two of you bond. You are helping the other person experience positivity. And eventually, when they need a little boost of positivity, they might think of you. So you are now radiating it out and it's going to come back in eventually. So positive uh, ways or positive conversation starters um, is a great way to add to our feeling of being part of a team. There are also great questions to ask if you are a team leader, you're, some of your team members, right? If you're doing, let's say, a performance review, tell me, when are you most engaged at work? What brings meaning to your work? Great questions to include to the conversation. If you are thinking of hiring someone new, you tell this person, you know, if we have a climate of care and compassion in this team, tell me how you will contribute. You know, some people would be like, oh, what am I supposed to do that? And then, you know, those are not the best contributors of that climate. And other people will be like, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you how. And they may even come up with new ways that will enhance your team and your team spirit. So positivity questions uh, or connectivity or connectedness generating questions. Great way to start the ball rolling in terms of creating more care and compassion in the workplace. I might also add that. You know, water coolers are one place. I don't know if they have them everywhere anymore. We always right. say That's that true. line. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but a lot of the time we have conversations in person, ideally with people that we work with. But it's also the case that a lot of the time communication is now digital and using tools like Slack. And so actually using the same recommendations that you just made now and using those on Slack to ask questions or quite frankly, even on in social media with, uh, with colleagues. I know I practice that way. Nobody really thinks of asking questions like the ones you just described. Usually people are asking very factual questions. Hey, does anybody know whatever? Yes. Whereas the, the kind of, you know, relationship type uh, questions, getting to know somebody better or, or getting their perspective and views on, on topics and the like, and still keeping that positive is really the theme I think you're advocating. And so you can do it in a variety of ways, in person as well as digital. Yeah. And for those who are maybe wellness leaders inside organizations, another thing they can think of is to print posters with such questions on those posters. And you can put those posters in the stairwells, in the bathrooms, so that people may not have someone to discuss this with, but you're still making them think about positive things. And if they are a little bit more positive in general, they're more pleasant, they're easier to connect with, they're more attractive to other people. So it also helps the team to do that. I actually ask one question on a Saturday and one question on a Sunday in my social media accounts. Questions like the ones you're describing, where everybody sort of shares, I get a ton of engagement because most of the time people are waiting for other people to do things and to say right. things. Whereas if you're the one that actually comes out and actually asks about something, rather than complaining about everything, there's a lot of that going on. There's yes. just so much negativity in social media in particular, but even in person, we can get past that and get a, have, a, have a different perspective if we lead the way in getting the discussion onto things that quite frankly people enjoy more of really connecting with others and being positive yes. with one another which is really what you're advocating so what do you do if you're wanting to connect with people at work but 
Maybe you don't get along with them very well, or they don't want to necessarily get along with you. Any recommendations that you have with regard to how to connect with people that may not be as easy to connect with? Yes, and that is a very good question because, you know, we people we work with, we don't necessarily get to choose. We're kind of stuck with them, right? <laughs> if you don't like mm -hmm. them, you feel you're stuck with them, right? right? So you have two choices. Either you keep on being negative and make that relationship worse and find reasons why it's it's a bad situation, or you decide to work on it to try and make it better. And I think that this second choice is obviously a lot more productive. So what you can do, and actually you can include all of the people you work closely with, you create yourself a chart and you, you write at the top of your chart the names of the people you work closely with. And then underneath you leave like three rows, at least three rows, if not four or five. And then you write at least three good things for each of these individuals. Maybe they are detail oriented and you're not. So it complements you. Maybe they're good cheerleaders. Maybe they are um, full of wisdom. So when you need an opinion, you go to them. And some people you may not know what to write in that column because you just don't find a lot of good in those people. But as you look at your chart, you're going to know that column is empty and it needs to be filled. So as you go through your interactions, make a point of looking for what's good in that person so you can fill in that column. And then when you have a column full of names and full of qualities that you appreciate out of your team members, um, it helps you not only interact with them more positively, but when there are some harder interactions, then you can go back to your chart and say, yes, I am upset with Luke today because, you know, he kind of pointed out some of my weaknesses in front of the whole team, but that doesn't mean that he's not still, and then you look at what's in the column. So you can kind of mitigate the negative vibes that you feel when you feel them, and it also serves to try and build positive vibes for those with whom you experience fewer positive vibes. And people also really appreciate when somebody reaches out to them and asks them for their advice, right? Uh, which is in itself an action that makes people feel good about themselves, even if it's a, somebody that you don't have a really close relationship with. We did an episode on mentoring earlier in the podcast series as well. And this is another instance where learning something from your colleagues, especially when you reach out to them and sincerely ask them for some help, is really an awesome way to learn. So you're learning from it. You're also making them feel good because they are hearing and that you're you value what they have to say and all of that together strengthens the relationship and achieves sort of the objectives that we've been describing in this podcast episode yeah when you ask someone for their opinion you're humbling yourself and mm -hmm. people like others that are humble it doesn't make you seem weak to seek an opinion it actually strengthens you when you think about if we did those things uh, that we talked about here, that we now are having conversations with them about some very specific things, how do you get to a deeper level of relationship with these colleagues as well? Because I think what we want is to be beyond sort of just the surface uh, details, to uh, have a stronger bond with them. Any suggestions yes. that you have with regard to that? Actually, let me let me demonstrate it. So do you have some some sort of good news you'd like to share with me and with all of our listeners today? Like nothing really earth shattering, just medium sized something you're happy about medium sized good news? Well, the good news is that I'm back to recording these episodes again. <laughs> this is this is actually the third episode of the podcast series that I will be publishing within a week. And so while there have been, you know, many months of not doing these episodes, it feels great to actually be doing this and being connected to you again on this as well. 
So let me demonstrate a weak response now. So I'm going to say, oh, good for you. I'm glad you got there. And, and I'm happy to be here. Awesome. How does that make you feel as a response? Well, it doesn't strengthen our, our relationship. Uh, right. it's, it sort of makes me think that you weren't all that impressed with it. You were just being kind and doing what was expected and saying, oh, yeah, okay, great. Right. Yes, exactly. And that's the most common type of response that people provide when they hear good news. Something that's slightly positive, but slightly dismissive. Oh, good for you. I'm glad to hear it. And then we move on to something else. But what if instead I responded in a more engaged way? So now I'm going to demonstrate active, constructive responding. So let me hear your news just one more time so I can respond live. Yeah, I'm just really happy that I'm finally getting back to recording these episodes, doing three in one week, in fact. So I've been feeling really, really good about that. Wow, that's impressive, three in one week. So what gave you the motivation to get going again? Actually, probably the there were some listeners that wrote to me and said, hey, is the podcast still going? Really want to sort of hear oh. from you, really enjoy the, these episodes. And also I had created a list of guests. I've got like all of like I think close to 15 people lined up to interview and just really looking forward to listening to their stories, catching up with people like yourself in terms of people that I've had on the podcast before, but also a number of other new people as well. So that must feel really good to, on the one hand, have people say, hey, Carl, give us more, give us more. We miss what you do. More good stuff, more good stuff. <laughs> Meanwhile, you have this list of people who are kind of happy to be there and waiting to be there and you just have to put the two together, right? Yes. No, it really makes it feel vibrant and motivates you to get to doing this. You're absolutely right. It's truly something that's invigorating. Right. So here I would continue to ask a few more questions, but the goal is to get engaged with your conversation by asking questions, not just saying, congratulations, good job. I'm so glad for you and moving on, but letting that person discover more about what's under the surface of those good news. That's active constructive responding and research shows that this is the only type of response to good news that helps both the news sharer the news receiver as well as their relationship so that's one way to deepen relationships and another quick little way i'd like to describe is again to, to create a grid where on one side you put the names of the people you work with let's say on the y-axis and then on the x-axis put some caring behaviors. So for example, maybe offering active constructive responding or offering support, showing some gratitude, uh, showing you care to know about their reality, whether it's at home or at work. Maybe it's promoting career development if you're a leader of those people. And then as you go through your week, give yourself one check mark every time you model one of those behaviors for that individual. And maybe you'll realize at the end of your week, look at that, I never offer support. Or look at that, I never spoke to Steve in any supportive way, in any caring way. No kidding, Steve is my underperformer. Poor Steve, I always pick on Steve. I don't have a Steve that I'm really thinking of, <laughs> but it's just the name that comes to mind. You know, po poor Steve, you know, I, I never give him the time of day. Maybe that's why he's underperforming slightly because he never gets the care he needs. And look at that, Jill is my superstar and Jill is the one who gets all of my care all the time. So it, it would be good for me to try and give a little bit more attention to Steve and maybe not always give all the, the attention or the, the caring behaviors to Jill. So that's another way to deepen our relationships. 
Those are both really good ideas. And I was going to expand upon or just to make a connection to previous episodes with each of those ideas. The, the one you talked about constructive responding, that also requires that you've also authentically listened <laughs> what the person has been yes, saying. And yes. that's a big challenge that most people have, that most people are actually just rehearsing in their head what their response is going to be, as opposed to actually deeply listening to and understanding yes. authentically what they're saying. So if you're doing what you're suggesting and terms of constructively responding that makes you need to actually listen to the person deeply in order to follow up and the following up that you'll do will also not only make the person feel better but you'll actually understand it better you'll be able to clarify if there was something that they said that you didn't understand so I, I think that's an awesome bit of advice I think the other one with regard to doing sort of the, the the reality checks I had talked in a previous episode an idea that I got from Stephen Covey's initial book seven habits of highly effective people he talked about identifying the key people in your life whether it's people at work whether it's your children your your significant other and actually determining when you want to actually devote time to them and actually put it in the calendar i actually used to list that i want to follow up in this next week with Steve, poor Steve, uh, uh, <laughs> again, for example, and say, hey, you know, I want to actually dedicate some time. And I don't have to make it really formal by making a meeting, but I could put it on my calendar saying, I'm going to walk over to, to talk to Steve because I want to really follow up on a particular thing. But it makes it more concrete than your general intention to go do this if you actually put it on your calendar. That is, if you are guided by a calendar or a diary, as I certainly am, and many people are in their working lives. So that's a way of making sure you actually do it. I would also think that if we're talking about really wanting to improve mood and quite frankly even just sheer tonnage of love is we might want to also be engaged in random acts of kindness. I would imagine that you too would think that was a good idea. Absolutely. Uh, Mark Twain said the best way to cheer yourself up is to cheer somebody else up. And that is what research shows. You know, um, some studies have been done where people have been given a certain amount of money and half the participants were asked, go spend it on yourself, go watch a movie, go do whatever you want with that money to please yourself. And then the other half of the participants was asked, go spend that money on somebody else, go make somebody's day. And mm -hmm. the group that had the biggest lift in their happiness levels was the people who spend the money on somebody else and their boost lasted longer as well. So absolutely random acts of kindness an awesome way to do it. Now here's uh, another tidbit that research shows. Instead of doing one random act of kindness every day, then it becomes like one more thing on your to-do list. Try and do two or three the same day. Then at the end of that day, you'll feel like, wow, I'm really a rock star. <laughs> and it doesn't feel so much like a to-do. It works better as a boost when it's done in that way. And anybody that has not done this really should try it. You know, everything from as simple as you're with your colleagues at the the coffee line, uh, let's yes. say, and, and you just, you know, you're the first one in the line. And let's say there's two or three behind you and you quietly say to the to the server, I'm going to pay for these others as well. That has an amazing impact, you know, on the others. And what's even more cool a lot of the time is actually when you do it anonymously, that makes you feel really 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 good and you're not necessarily working to try to make yourself look good it's more a matter of you're just trying to improve sort of the mood of everybody around you so i think it's an amazing thing to go do and like i say if you've never done it before try it you will love it 
One of my favorite act of kindness is whenever I cook a big batch of soup or chili or spaghetti sauce or something like that, I put some in a pot for a friend, a loved one, a neighbor, a coworker, something like that, and I offer some to someone uh, whom I know can need it at that time. You know, we all struggle to eat healthy. We all struggle to have enough time to cook. We would all rather have a healthy home-cooked meal instead of picking up at a restaurant. So bringing a warm home-cooked lunch to someone or giving it to, to a neighbor that they can have it in their own timing, I think is an awesome, awesome way to feel good about what you've done and make someone feel loved and um, feel like that connection really matters. That takes us to, I think, thinking about the progression of people through their careers. I think a lot of people have this sense that they just have to get more credentials and just do really good work, and that that's really the way to get ahead and to the way to get to sort of happiness at work. And yet a lot of people will, you know, seek out that by going to all kinds of different other places and changing their jobs inside a company as well as going elsewhere. But in reality, a lot of what makes you happy is in fact the relationships you have with people around you and their relationship with you, right? And I know I spent a lot of time mentoring uh, uh, in addition to the digital mentoring I do on this podcast series with colleagues at work and some staff as well. And I argue for that all the time, that the strength and the quality of the relationship you have with people that you work with is incredibly important. And I know that that's something that you would be a strong supporter of as well. You know, I shared earlier that um, I, I am from Canada. Well, when I first moved to the United States, I, I did not speak English very, very well, and I didn't always understand the subtleties in the language. So one time I, I meet my new neighbor. He's a 70-year-old pastor. And when you meet your new neighbor, 70-year-old pastor, your intention is to be very proper in your dialogue. <laughs> but one mm -hmm. of the very first questions I asked him was, do souls have sex? And like, <laughs> I can still remember how he blushed and he got overheated and, you know, and then he kind of uh, proceeded to answer the question I did ask. And when I realized where he was going with this, I was like, oh boy, <laughs> not, not what I intended. And I'm like, I apologize. What I meant to ask was, do souls have a gender? <laughs> you know, once we're on the other side of heaven, are we still male or female or are souls neutral? <laughs> and, and it was appropriate to the, to the conversation at the time. But my point is, my intention was in the right place, but I asked the wrong question. And I think that when we look for always, you know, more degrees and six, six sigma and like these kinds of fancy procedures and ways to get ahead, we have the right intention as well, but it's the wrong procedure. Research shows that the more care and compassion there is in the workplace, the better cooperation there is between individuals. It just is natural, right? Like someone cares to ask you how you're doing and if they can help you every now and then, then when they're under a tight deadline, you'll offer your help. It makes you more cooperative. Uh, it helps with innovation because then people feel like they have the psychological safety to express ideas that are out of the box. They can be themselves, they can be more creative, they can, you know, 
express more thoughts and feel safe doing it. It helps with adaptability. Organizations are constantly going through changes, right? And someone didn't get something they wanted. Someone else got something they did not want. Somebody was moved out of the team and this was an anchor for a lot of team members. There is always pain associated with change. But when we know that our team members have our back, then it helps us be more adaptable through that change. It helps with talent retention. People don't quit a job. Usually they quit a boss unless they have a promotion. You know, they will leave a boss more than they will leave a job description. Care and compassion also help with employee engagement. When my emotional needs are met, I am better at meeting that of others. So all that to say, if we want to be better contributors, because eventually we want to progress, right? Then care and Mm -hmm. compassion is a great way to help the team move forward. And if we're an initiator of all of that, then we are a leader of it. And then it helps us with our own career progression as well. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. And I love your story. And I'd love to know what his actual answer was to the question, (laughs) do souls have sex? But we won't go there. You mentioned the notion of leadership and management. You know, I I love this Jack Welsh quote that uh, before you're a leader, success is all about growing yourself. When you become a leader, success is all about growing others. And I'd love to have your suggestions on how does a leader lead others so they can grow better themselves? Well, I think that reality check that I have described earlier, again, that grid with your team members' names on one axis and then caring behaviors on the other, you know, I think that as you show people what you are grateful for, then they know what they need to do more of. As you offer support to your team members, then you know where they need growth, right? They will tell you where they need support so you can identify where they need growth. If you care to talk to them about career development, you're helping them grow again. If you know about their reality at work and at home, so you care to take the time to ask about their reality, then you can also better um, assess the resources that they need um, and the ones that they may not need that someone else might need so you can better attribute your resources according to everybody's needs. And again, that helps people grow when they feel like they have the adequate resources to do what they need to do. So first thing that comes to mind is to go back to that reality check and use it specifically in the context of leadership. So what we're really talking about here is sort of bringing back the human into human resources and that companies are going to benefit with that. And of course, my overall theme in the various careers that I've had have been aligned with all of that, <laughs> bringing, uh, bringing humans back into whether it was in sort of psychology, clinical psychology early on, as well as the focus on actually designing products for humans and making sure yes. that humans within a company can work well together. So I absolutely agree with that kind of overall uh, direction. Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, there's a concept, uh, actually a book called Firms of Endearment. And those are firms that uh, really have the concept of love and or care and and or compassion uh, central in the how we do things around here. Most of them have it written down black on white, either in their um, mission or vision statements or their values, corporate value statement, things like that. So these firms of endearment tend to not only, you know, enjoy the competitive advantages that I've described earlier, like cooperation, innovation, adaptability, talent retention, these kinds of things, but they also tend to perform very well financially. 
They often beat the standard and poor index. Um, for those who follow Jim Collins with the good to great companies, uh, firms of endearment do even better in many cases. So love pays. It pays in terms of a better life that was worth living. It pays in terms of better health and it helps the bottom line. So, hey, what's not to love about love, right? <laughs> Sounds tacky, but hey. <laughs> oh, I love it. Now, we should probably also just make a distinction about when we talk about love in this sort of context in a, a Me Too world, that we should also be really clear that we're talking about connectedness and developing stronger uh, sort of relationships with people that we are working with, but we also would put limits on that and that, that we're not talking necessarily about romantic love in the workplace Absolutely. either. And so Absolutely. when we say this whole topic of, of driving this kind of connectedness and we're using the term, term love, uh, we are not for a moment implying that we endorse anything like inappropriate Absolutely. sort of relationships where people don't want that, right? Absolutely. And I think that everything we've set up up until this point makes that clear too, because we haven't right. talked about <laughs> inappropriate behaviors in the workplace. <laughs> right, right. I always just try to make sure that we cover off all of the I misinterpretations understand. people could, could come to as well. Do you have any final thoughts on this overall topic of love? Yes. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and I'm glad you just brought that caveat because uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to help me with that final story. When it was time for me to get married, I was going through the bridal shop saying, you know, I want something that's going to be very clean and modest and understated. I, I don't want, you know, the big crazy dresses. I'm not going to be one of those brides that is trying to look like a princess, you know. And then I would try gown after gown after gown and I would be like, meh, yeah, whatever. I don't feel special. And the consultants would say, how about a little bit of lace? How about a little bling? Just a little bit of volume in the skirt. And then I realized, woo, I like the, the lace and the bling and the volume. And in the end, if you saw a picture of my wedding gown, it was not that modest and clean and understated. It was quite quite funky, you know. Um, it, but it took me 82 gowns <laughs> before I found my dress. So that was quite an extensive process. Two lessons in that story. Number one, sometimes what we're looking for is over here when what we really need is over there. And I find that people feel like love or care and compassion are like too soft. And so they look over here when really it's this is what we often need. People are starved to feel appreciated at work. People really want this. And those who do it are the leaders of tomorrow and they are the leaders of today. So that's the first lesson that's in that story. And the second lesson is if you want to make a change, if you want to feel different, if you want your life to be special, don't go the modest and understated way. You know, mm -hmm. if you want to bring more care and compassion in the workplace, make it bold, make it big, make it visible so people can feel the difference. Be confident in doing it and then you'll get the results. I love your passion and your wedding dress was incredibly beautiful. I did see it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? This is a whole theme that I'm so glad that you uh, you suggested this topic, uh, in fact, because I think it is really at the heart of what we need. This is what we need to feed our soul. And a lot of people will, will think about it while well, they feed their soul with love outside of work, right? And that they're going to get all of that outside of work, but yet you know, as you pointed out, we spend most of our time at work and working with colleagues, people that we haven't necessarily chosen, right? And so let's focus on that. 
And by the time we make it to the after work hours, we're usually too exhausted. Absolutely. So. And, it's, and it's also the case that I've been incredibly fortunate in my career to, to always be working with people that I truly care about, you know, my own teams, and I think they care about me. It's special in the sense that you you enjoy going to work. Then it's not. You're, yes. you're looking for the opportunity to, you know, head home and enjoy the rest of your life. What's core to that? Well, some of it is doing things together with a common mission and, and all of that. But a lot of the rest of it is, quite frankly, just the relationship you have with them. And also, you know, doing the things that you've talked about on this episode and taking the time to do that. So the notion of just suggesting to a colleague to go for a coffee or I'll go a couple of colleagues go to lunch together. A lot of this that we've been describing here can be done nicely kind of outside of the immediate sort of work setting. Some of it can be directly in it as well, but just take a different perspective on your whole working life and inject more love into it. Anybody who's listening to us up until this point still <laughs> and who and who is experiencing a Sunday night blues. So that's every Sunday night you're thinking, oh, man, another five days of this crap ahead of me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anybody who gets that Sunday night blues, do yourself a favor. Pick at least one of the strategies we've spoken about today. Decide which one will have the most impact, will require the least amount of effort and that you are most motivated to try and then stick to it. For at least 30 days, mark your calendar at the beginning of every week to make sure that you don't forget to use that strategy and see what happens. See if your Sunday night blues lessens. And I said 30 days, you know, 60 or 90, even better because it takes time to build relationships and to reap the fruit of our effort. So I think that, you know, anyone who has the Sunday night blues cannot ignore this episode. I love that. I love having you on the podcast series. And so I wanted to thank you for the now sixth episodes that we've been uh, doing together. And just before we finish up, though, I did want to ask you, how can people find you digitally on the interwebs? I am on mjshar.com. So M-J-S-H-A-A-1-R.com. And on there, they will find my Facebook, my phone number, how to reach me by email, um, what I do, (laughs) how to hire me for a keynote, a seminar, (laughs) that kind of stuff. And I think they should. (laughs) It would be wonderful to have you as a keynote speaker. I think the, the passion and excitement and brilliant ideas that you share are infectious. And so thanks again for another episode together, Marie Jose. And for those of you listening, please do provide any comments, any ratings in iTunes or anywhere else you may be accessing this uh, podcast series. And also comment on the Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash life habits. I now also include all the notes, the actual show notes on my own website, which is carlradenberg.com. If you go there, right next to the podcast link is a link called Notes. And a lot of people have been asking for getting access to that. And it was really, really hard to find before. It was in Facebook. It was injected directly into the podcast feed itself. And so that should be more easy to find. And you can always write to me at lifehabits at gmail.com with any feedback you have, any ideas you have for topics you'd like us to address on this podcast series. Thanks all of you for listening. Thanks for really working on improving yourself. And we'll talk to you next time. And bye for now.